Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Milestone Church. My name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor here at Milestone McKinney, and uh, I am so honored that you joined us, just like Alex said. We know that each and every week it's someone's first time, and so if this is your first time and I haven't had an opportunity to meet you, I look forward to meeting you after service. So thank you so much for joining us this morning. Well, we're kicking off a new series called Promises. We're going to look at the nature and character of God. We serve a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. And so we're going to look at how that impacts our life. But before we do, I want to celebrate something. You know, the word for the year, I shared this with you last week, is engage. And I shared with you that when we engage at a different level, at a greater level, we'll experience God at a different level than we ever have before. And so, so many of you stepped out, you engaged with God, fasting and praying, evening services. And I love stories uh, that come out of prepare because so often I meet individuals that fast for the very first time. And it's so amazing to see how God meets them in that as they step out in faith and they do something perhaps they've never done before. And so many did that this past week. And I think of uh, one couple uh, in particular, Matt and Candace Harvick. Uh, they and their two daughters moved here from California. They actually found Milestone because their youngest was invited to something called Super Series, which is something we do uh, during uh, Elevate, which is our youth ministry, in the fall. And she came, and then uh, a family in the church invited her parents to come back. They came to service, and they've been here ever since. They had never fasted and prayed. They stepped out, jumped in for the very first time, fasted, prayed. And here's the thing that they've said, that, that Matt said. Matt said, I've been so encouraged because one, I'm seeing my daughters really grow in their relationship with God. But two, just to see how God is drawing me and my family closer in an intimate relationship with him. And what was so significant, I had an opportunity to pray for Addison. She kind of had a sports injury. And so Wendy and I were praying for her. And Matt said, I didn't realize the challenge and the pain that she was going through, how it affected me. And so Addison shared, she, but he said this, he said, the most uh, proud moment I had is when she texted me. It was the very next day, so this was like on a, on a Thursday. Uh, she texted me and said, Dad, I hear God speaking to me like I never have before. And I feel him closer than he's ever been before. Now, this is a freshman in high school who just moved across the country uh, to something completely new, has no friends. Can you imagine starting high school in a brand new school in a brand new state? There's a lot of transition and a lot of challenges, and yet here she is experiencing God's presence. And I'm so proud. I'm so excited. You know, Alex, it's not just us in here that experience that. Alex talked about our kids in the back. They're learning to pray. And so they have their own prayer wall back there. They're writing prayers down. They're praying for all sorts of stuff. But as Alex said, a lot of what they're praying for is you. Uh, I was back there this morning. One was saying, I'm praying for my friend's uh, uh, father who, is, uh, who has cancer. And they're praying for loved ones. One was praying for their grandma to come to know Jesus. I mean, it's and why? Because you don't have to wait to be great. You can be a great kid. So just know they're going through that as well. We're walking through this and experiencing it uh, as a church family. And so if there's any way we can join with you in prayer, take a little time on your way out. 
Go back there, write down on that card, put it on there. Our staff, we pray over those through the course of the week. Individuals come in here early for service. We're praying over those. And so we're joining with you in prayer through this season. So I'm so proud of you and so excited about all that God did at Prepare. It really is just a launching pad into everything that he has for us in 2022. Open up your Bibles to uh, Hebrews chapter 6 and then kind of, Put a mark there, put your finger there in your Bible, hold on to it. And then turn to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. So over the next few weeks, we're going to really lay a foundation of what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about promises. We're going to be talking about God and, and how he operates and interacts with us. And, and what, is, what does it mean to, to have a promise-making and a promise-keeping God? I don't know about you, but I want you to think about what's the biggest promise you've ever made? What is it? What's the biggest, or maybe the biggest commitment that you've ever made? Guys, you remember when you're trying to get that, that girl to commit to you, you know? Uh, before, before we had text messaging, you used to take out a piece of paper. You know what I'm talking about? You're right on there. I like you. Do you like me? Check yes or no. And he passed that note down, right? But some of you wised up, you know, after getting a few no's, you started putting maybe on there. Check yes, no. Or maybe, all right, you're saying there's a chance. What is it? Think about it. You know, you think about commitment, and maybe that girl, she checked yes, and it turned into y'all dating, and then you got married. But before you got married, what'd you do? You had this moment, the proposal. You know what I'm talking about? You remember when you when 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 you were proposed to? I mean, it's gotten elaborate these days. I mean, it's for this couple, beautiful couple. Look at it. They're on some side of a mountain somewhere. I mean, people just skydiving, getting engaged in midair. I mean, just I'm back in my day. I mean, I'm 43. You know, back in my we just we didn't have photographers stash places. Now, prop, my brother is a wedding photographer. Props to you guys. If you're a photographer in here, I mean, they don't do anything for the shot. They're suspended upside down. They're doing whatever. They're popping out of trees. Thank God no one's gotten injured. You know, it's like, man, I mean, they're doing whatever it takes. My dad, we're just like, hey, we're just on a hike, you know. Wendy and I, we're in Austin, Texas. Love Biscuit. That's what I call her if you're new to Milestone Church. I don't, I don't really like biscuits, but I love Love Biscuit. That's her nickname, Wendy. We're just walking down this trail, right, and we're hiking. And then I just get down on one knee, and I just I propose and open up the box, right? And, I, and I, you think about that moment, the proposal. Think about what that that symbolizes and what it what it signifies it's this level of commit you're saying I want to commit to you more than any other person in the world you think about that you think about what it looks like you think about the significance of commitment you think about all it takes you're trying to capture even even this right here it's like I'm trying to capture this moment I want the picture but even in this picture it's not about the picture it's about the promise it's not about the pit. You're, you're really trying to, to capture the promise is what you're trying to capture. And, and you give them, right? Guys, we give them this little, this little metal piece of something just so valuable. It's just, you know, this ring and it's got this sparkly, sometimes real big, sometimes small. And then as, as you get older and make a little more money, you upgrade, you know, it's like, you know, here's your 10-year service award, here's your 20-year service award, here's your 30-year, and the service is putting up with me that long, you know, you just get that bigger and bigger as you go along, right? 
But you think about that ring, right? And what does it symbolize, this engagement ring? And, and just, a, I mean, a brief history on that. You're like, where does that come from? It actually has been around, this aspect has been around since about 900 A.D. Now, in, in the U.S., it really, it wasn't until, it wasn't until around World War II that men really started wearing wedding rings. It was, they're going off to war and they wanted to remember this, this wife that they had maybe perhaps just married that they left back home. And so you have all this, but think about the level of commitment, what this signifies. And you can think about the level of commitment you have towards this particular person. Can I tell you, it pales in comparison to the level of commitment God has towards you. The commitment that God has towards you and I, the love that he has for us. You see, that's what we're going to look at in this series. We're going to look and recognize that first and foremost, God is a promise-keeping God. He has always been and always will be a promise-keeping God. And, and, and the truth is, we use this concept of, of promise because it's probably what we understand the most. It's familiar. We recognize it. We understand it. Now, to be fair, it can be a little challenging because for some of us, people who have said they promised one thing, they broke that promise. We're going to unpack that a little bit and how that could potentially impact us in our relationship with God, but that God's bigger than that. And so we have this understanding of promise, and, and we use the word promise to help us kind of capture what is it and how is it that God interacts with us in this context? But here's what I want you to get. You really don't find the word promise in the Bible a lot. In fact, what you will see in the Bible is the word covenant. Covenant is the biblical word for promise. It's a covenant which really is far more. It's like a guarantee. In fact, in the tagline for the series, it's a guarantee. I mean, think about it. If you're going, a guarantee, I like a guarantee. I want a guarantee. I only buy things if there is a guarantee. God is saying there is a guarantee, a promise, which is actually bigger than what we can even fathom in understanding promise. It's a covenant. And here's what begins to happen is, is our hope is this, is you, you begin to understand God and his word. And in order to do that, you have to understand the importance of covenant. If you're fully going to understand this word right here, if you're fully going to understand God and how he interacts with you, how he loves you, the plan and purpose he has for you, we have to understand the word covenant and what it means, what it looks like. You see, I, I'd probably put it this way. I'd say the best way to actually read God's word is through the lens and theology of covenant. Now, theology, what is that? What well, theology is essentially, it's a, it's a study of, of the nature and the character of God. We all have a theology, whether you realize it or not. In fact, I would say that the way you view, it's kind of like this. Your theology is like the lens that you view through. It's the way you view something. It's the way you see it. In fact, the way you view God is the way that you will relate to God. How you see him, how you understand him, how you think about how he views you. It, it helps us understand how we relate to him. It's kind of like this. Have you ever had like a, uh, like a dirty windshield? And, and you get like mud on your windshield. So it's not rain. It's like muddy water, right? And it's like when you try and use your wipers, what does it do? It just smears even more. It's, not, it's like you can't see anything. And so you can't see. And it's like, man, I, I, can, I know things are there, but I can't really see clearly. You see, here's the hope for this series for you. 
there's things about God and your relationship with God that you can kind of make out, you can kind of see. But the hope is this, is that as you understand the significance and the power of covenant, you understand the significance and power of this word and the promise that God makes for you, it's like you're clearing that windshield. And you don't just see kind of vaguely, you can see clearly who God is, what he says about you, how he loves you, and the promises that he not only makes to you, but that he keeps. He keeps. That's how God operates. That's how he works. In fact, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. It says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. That's what we're going to do over the next few weeks through this series. What is this covenant of love? What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, we have to understand, first and foremost, what does the word covenant mean? Because that's who God is. He makes covenants and he keeps covenants. Well, here's what a covenant is. A covenant is a relational agreement. You see, when you receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you come into relationship with him. There's a relationship that you have, you now have access to. He wants a relationship with you, you can have a relationship with him. It's a partnership toward a specific purpose, treated with the utmost commitment and respect. You see, this is what you can expect from God. This is how he wants to relate to you. He wants to have a covenant relationship with you. So so go back to that picture of the wedding ring. You think about this wedding ring, and a wedding is, is, is one of the best pictures of covenant. Because it's not a contract, it's just that. It's a covenant. It's a commitment. It's a commitment. Now, now I, I've performed and officiated weddings for years. For years. In fact, I'll be officiating a wedding this week. I'll be officiating a wedding in, a wedding in early March. So I've been around, and, and there's always a moment where you turn to the groomsmen and, and, and you say, man, I have the rings. Now, I did have one uh, groomsman, one best man. He, he pulled out a cheeseburger. The problem is it had been in his pocket for quite some time, and it wasn't real fluffy. It was, was kind of flat, and I'm like, what are, you, what are you doing? Like, you're already, it's like the most nervous moment of this couple, and you want to pull out a cheeseburger. Give me those rings. But when you think about those rings and what they symbolize, what is it? The ring is significant in that moment because what does the ring do? It's a circle. It represents this unending love that God has for you and for me. But it also represents this unending love that this couple now is going to have for one another. This commitment that they have towards one another. And so there's this understanding of what it looks like. God's love, God's commitment, God's covenant. Think of the most precious commitment or moment in your life. Maybe it was when you got engaged or when you got married. Maybe it was when you had a child. And you're saying, man, I'm committed to this child. And and maybe it was when you committed to to the university you were going to go to. Maybe it was when you committed and you were an athlete and you committed, I'm going to play sports here. Maybe it was when you committed to, to sign on the dotted line and you bought your first home. There's all ranges of what we make as commitments and how we view and value those things. All of it. It all varies for every single one of us, whatever season of life we may be in. 
We've all made commitments and covenants, but here's the thing. All of those moments, they are significant, but they pale in comparison to the covenant and commitment God has towards you. In fact, for us to actually understand the level of commitment God has towards us, we really need the help of the Holy Spirit to understand it. We need him to help us see, and, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is going to do. As we look in Hebrews chapter 6, I, I want to give you a little backstory, a little context here. Because the writer of Hebrews, what, what they're doing, the writer is writing to a group of believers that's trying to figure out how to follow Jesus when it relates to Jewish tradition. Some of you, you know what that's like. Not necessarily maybe Jewish tradition, but you've given your life to the Lord and the tradition and heritage of your family or that you grew up in, it's a little challenging. In fact, you've given your life to the Lord and and now you spend time with your family and your family will say things like this, I liked you better before you were a Christian. I liked you before you started following Christ. I liked you, and you're having a now. What do you do? Do you disown your family? Do you, do you turn your back on God? You're navigating this tension. So if you've ever been in a place where you're having to navigate that, the writer of Hebrews is writing to you. But he's also writing to a group of people that want to grow in their relationship with Christ. So if you're in here and you're saying, I want, I want to grow. I want to grow in my relationship with Jesus. I want to know him more. I want to understand, I want to understand what this means. What does it look like to have a covenant? And then guess what? The writer of Hebrews is writing to you. So here it is. We're looking at our life and going, how do we apply this to our life? What does it look like? Now, here's what you have to understand about the Bible. Some of you may know this. is You've read, when you look at this word, it's written in two sections. It's written in two aspects. There's the Old Testament, which could also be called the Old Covenant. And then there's the New Testament, which could be called the New Covenant. Now, why is that significant? Because in the New Covenant, we have access to a greater promise in a new covenant because of what Jesus did on the cross. Now, I talk to people all the time. They go, well, then why have the Old Testament? What's the point? Can I just read the New Testament? But here's what we have to understand. The Old Testament is a type and shadow of what's to come in the New Testament. The Old Testament speaks of what's to happen in the New Testament. But here's the other thing. For me to have confidence to know that God will keep his promise today and in the future, here's what the Old Testament does. I can look back and see how he's been faithful in the past. So it's significant that when we read this in its entirety, we read this through the lens of covenant. He made a promise, and he keeps it. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. It says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by. Think about that. There's no one greater. So what does he do? He swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Now there's two things I want to key in on here. Is, is first is this. There's a little bit of debate, theologians. That there's about eight covenants found in God's word. This is one of them, one of them the Abrahamic covenant. You read about that. I was actually reading this morning in Genesis. God's promise, his covenant. To Abraham, he said, look into the stars, number all of the stars. That will be the number of your descendants. He actually said this. He said, number all the stars if you can. 
I love God. He's kind of like, he knew. You can't number them all. He said, but that's going to be the number of your descendants. That's his promise to Abraham. Now, that's significant, but here's what really sticks out to me personally. Verse 15, and so after waiting patiently. Now, here's the thing. We're all going to wait. The question is, how are you waiting? Now, that speaks to me because guess what? I don't really wait patiently. I'm just going to be honest. I get a little agitated, a little stirred up sometimes, and I just get impatient. And it's not good. I need Jesus to help me. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this red light. It's been like 20 seconds. What is happening? Let's go. These people in front of me, they're Sunday driving. That's fine if it's Sunday, but it's Tuesday. Get out of the way. God, you promised this. You said that. I'm going to have a breakthrough in my relationship, in my marriage. You're going to do this for my kids. You're gonna, my kids are going to surrender their life to you. They're going to serve you. God, you said I'd have a child. Whatever it is, we all have something that we're believing God for that we feel he said he promised. But the question is, how are we waiting? Not are we waiting. We all will wait. But when I wait patiently, what happened? Abraham received what was promised. Now look what happens. Verse 16. Now people swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. You see, so when we're waiting patiently, what are we doing? We're waiting and trusting in God. And what does he do? He puts an end to all arguments. You see, because when we're waiting patiently, what we're doing and what's being tested is can I trust God? And here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. I'm going to put an end to all arguments. All the arguments that are saying can God be trusted? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. How do I know? Because he's going to confirm what he said, and he is going to put an end to all arguments because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear. There's an unchanging, unwavering purpose that God has. He doesn't get unstable. He doesn't drift. He doesn't waver. In fact, the writer of Hebrews is even going to go into a greater detail of what that looks like for us. But there's an unchanging nature that God has. And he's saying, as you wait and trust in me, there's a promise that you have access to. Verse 18. So God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. You see, at some level, every human being is going to tell a lie. And they're going to tell a lie at some level. But God is not capable of lying. It's not in his character. It's not who he is. And because we know that, what happens? We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. You see, we're all looking for hope. We all want, that's what we want. In fact, you're going, okay, 2022, I hope this is the year. I hope 
We get fill in the blank, whatever it may be. We all are looking for hope. But the question is, do we know where to put our hope? See, because there is a hope that can be an anchor for our soul. God does not lie. He has a promise and a purpose for you. And he makes that promise and he keeps that promise. So over the next few moments, that's what I want to do. I want to unpack this a little bit. I want to talk about this anchor for our soul. When you look back at Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope. And that hope is an anchor. That hope is in Jesus. It's in Jesus. You see, we all need an anchor. We all get a little unstable. We all get a little unstable and we start to, to sway. We start to drift. It happens. And when you think about an anchor, there's some significant aspects about an anchor. There's really three components that really signify an anchor. First is you have a tether. You have a rope. And it's tied to something weighty. Early on, it was tied to a stone, but after a while, the stones weren't dense enough to hold that boat in place. So then you, you see the, the production of metals, and, and metals begin to hold it down. So you have this weighty, metallic anchor. You have this rope that it's tethered to, and you drop it in the water, and it holds it there. Nowadays, you actually don't even need a, a rope or metal or any of the... Now you have GPS. As long as the power's on, the GPS can actually hold... A boat in its position, in its place. But here's what you have to realize. Whether it's a stone, whether it's metal, whether it's GPS. The question is, what you're anchored to, does it have the strength to hold you in place when the waves of life come crashing in? Is it going to hold you? Are the things that you're anchored to, are they going to hold you in place? You see, because as seasons come and go, we all find ourselves anchoring ourselves to different things. I think about the young people in here, teens and young adults. You think about those things in your life that, that, that you anchor to. You think about the, the pressure for performance or, or maybe being anchored to the right person or the right peer group. You see, here's the thing. I, when I spend time with young people and I talk to them, can I tell you the number one thing? I see it in my own 11-year-old. The number one thing I hear young people say, hey, what's the hardest thing? Stress. The stress. that they, Even at a young age, I mean, back in my day, the only thing I was stressed about was, did I get Cheetos or Fritos in my lunchbox? I mean, now, from day one, Am I going to make the grade? I got to apply for college. Am I going to get in the school I want? You're in eighth grade. I got to do this and I got to do that and I have to have the scores. And am I going to be on this select team? Am I going to be on that select team? Am I going to travel or not travel? Am I going to be accepted here? Am I going to be? And the, the pressure to perform. If I anchor myself to those things, but can I tell you, that's not going to hold you. Maybe if I'm around the right person, if I have the right relationship, if I'm in the right peer group and the right group of people and I find my validation in who I'm with and who I'm walking with, none of those things are going to hold you, but you see the need for approval, cultural significance, school pressure, athletics, entertainment, all of these things. I mean, you got, there are are 12-year-olds, what's your goal? I'm going to be a YouTube star. 
I'm be YouTube famous. I mean, the pressure. But all those things are not going to hold you. What about maybe you're a mom or a dad? Maybe family. Maybe you're a young married couple. Young adult in your career and, and, and you're growing and, and you're not married yet, but you soon will be. Or maybe you're engaged and you're about to get married. What are the things that, that we can find ourselves in the seasons of life trying to anchor ourselves to? What, what, you may, I think for parents sometimes, un, unknowingly, you anchor yourself to your kids. My kids. It's my kids. Everything's around my kids, my kids, my kids. The thought is if I make it about my kids, it makes them feel important. The focus is on them. They feel secure. Here's the problem. When you anchor yourself to your children and they become the source, they don't become more secure. They become more insecure. Why? Because they were never designed to be your source. They were never designed to be your source where you find your sufficiency and you begin to, you doing all of that, you can't anchor yourself to your children. Maybe it's your career. You hear me talk about it all the time. We'll gravitate towards where we feel we're winning. So you gravitate towards those things. Man, I know how to do this, 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 and this. I know how to hit these numbers. I know how to win here. But I don't know how to win in my relationship with my wife. I don't know how to win with my kids. So I'm going to anchor myself to my career. I'm going to anchor myself to try to, to, to make these financial goals and have success and, and have all the recognition that, that comes along with it. Or, or maybe it's just personal expression. It's just who I am is how I express myself, and, and, and I'm just trying to find my niche, and, and I'm trying to find my happiness and my identity in these particular things or the opinions of culture, whatever it may be. But can I tell you, none of these things are going to hold you when the storms of life come. None of them. Then you, you may say, well, Pastor Chris, do, I mean, Chris, do you deal with these things? Absolutely. Absolutely. I get unstable. I shared with you before. I mean, look, life is hard enough. The last two years, that pressure's been on. You start seeing where you get a little off. My wife, Wendy, I've she's from New Orleans. She can just kind of tell you how it is. She'll let me know. She'll be like, boo, you off now. She's real loving about it, but I tell you, I mean, she'll let me know. So there's times where I recognize I get unstable. I get frustrated. You're trying to navigate things. I mean, even just being transparent, like how do you navigate a church family that you want to get together and connect with and do small groups and lead, but everyone doesn't like the decisions you're making as a leader? That'll pr- I'm human. That'll press on you. And you're on the back end of we just moved here. We're transitioning in. We're getting, getting to know people. I'm just being transparent. That'll press on you because my normal nature is like, hey, this is where we're going. Get on or get off. Let's go. That just hurts people. I start seeing, wait a minute. I get a little unstable in here. Where do I find that? Can I tell you? My anchor is the same as your anchor. I need to be anchored to the truth of Jesus and his word. That's why this right here, I go through this, read through it, listen to it all the way through. Once a year. Not because I'm super spiritual and not because I'm a pastor. Because I need it that much. Because without that, I start to get unstable. I, I start to 
I start to drift. I start to get real frustrated, real agitated, and everything I'm hearing about and seeing, it just stirs me up even more. And I just get more and more angry, more and more frustrated. Why? Because i got to realize, hold on, I need an anchor. I need an anchor for my soul. I need this right here. You see, here's what I want you to get, that you don't have to try to drift. You, you find yourself drifting in life, you don't have to try. It's real easy. You'll drift if you're anchored to the wrong thing. You'll drift if you're anchored to the wrong thing. So, so I don't want to drift in my life. I, I don't want that. So what do I do? How, how do I, how is it that I find a way to anchor my soul? Well, here's the first thing. The first thing is we have to trust God above all other options. This word is significant because can I tell you, we live in a country within the world, and we live in a part of the country, we got a lot of options. You got a lot of options. We all do. You got, I know your options. You put it on Facebook and Instagram all the time. I see all your options. We got options. And it's very easy to put our trust in other things. You'll find real quickly, where is your trust? What are you putting your significance in? If you're anchored to your fear, your identity issues, the perspective of culture, it will not be strong enough to hold you when the storms of life come. If you're anchored to other things outside of God's word and his truth, it will not hold you. You see, at the heart of covenant, it's faith. What is faith? It's the evidence of things unseen. My prayer is as we go through this, you begin to see God's faithfulness to you. The promise that he's made to you. Where you can anchor yourself in a hope, the hope of Jesus, that is unwavering. It does not change. God is not man. But see, that's the thing. Trust is hard. Trust is hard. Because you have had people that have broken trust. You've had people that have stabbed you in the back. I met a man this week. I was talking to him earlier this week. He, li- he told me, he's like, I don't trust anybody. We're talking about the Bible. He finds out I'm a pastor. That's not typically my lead-in when I meet people like, hey, I'm Chris. I'm a pastor. I mean, like, if they find out, they find out. Cool, I just want, I'm just Chris. He finds out, oh, I'm a, I heard you're a pastor. Well, I was reading the book. He's like, well, which book? Like, like the Bible book or some other book? He's like, I got chapter 2, and I'm just like, well, I don't know. I can't trust that. I mean, serpent, seed, Adam, Eve. What, what, what? what is that real? Did man really, did man write that or is that real? I don't, I don't, I said, so it sounds like, he's like, yeah, I don't trust anybody. I said, okay, that's what we're talking about. Can I trust God above all other options? See, trust is hard because we've had man that has broken trust with us. So we naturally, unintentionally, we initiate the first way in which we view this word and we view our relationship with God, we relate to it off the basis of how we relate to everyone else. So when there's been a lack of, of trust with people, that's how we begin to engage with God. But God is not man, and he does not lie, and he can be trusted. You see, when you need help in your life, when I need help, you want to make sure the person you're asking for help can actually deliver. I'm going, hey, it's kind of like when you're sick. You're like, I'll take whatever. I mean, within reason, right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you're like, I'll take whatever. I'm just like, give it to me. I, I'm like, I came in one day, Wendy's like, she's at the stove, she's like stirring stuff. I'm like, come on, she's from Louisiana. You got a woman at the stove stirring a big pot. What do you think she's making? A roux. What comes after a roux? You only make a roux for a gumbo. Let's go. I said, babe, a little gumbo? 
uh-uh. I said, well, what you making? It kind of smelled up. She's like, elderberry. I said, elder who? She's like, this is so good for you. You're going to drink this. You're going to take a shot of this every day. And it's going to keep you healthy. I'm like, all right, baby. What I'm like, give me the Z-Pack. So I take the Z-Pack to get over my sickness. I take the elderberry to make a love biscuit happy. I mean, what's it going to hurt? I mean, maybe it tastes okay or not. I don't know, you know, but it's like, I'll just, you see, you don't just go, we live life going around bumping along thinking, well, you know, we're hoping it's going to work. Can I tell you, you can have a hope and a trust in someone that you know will not lie, is trustworthy, and will do what he said he will do. He'll do what he said he would do. You see, trust is that tether. Like on that anchor. It's the rope. But you got to have it tied to you. Trust is what tethers you. But here's the second thing. If you are going to have an anchor to your soul, we got to obey God. Even when it's challenging. I think about the old hymn. Trust and obey. For there is no other way. It really is that simple. It comes down to when things get tough and it's hard, I'm going to obey. So if trust is the tether that's holding me, what is it holding me to? Obedience is the weight that holds me down. That no matter what things look like and how hard or challenging it gets, I'm going to trust and obey. Well, where's the power come from? Well, the power is found in Jesus, period, plain and simple. You see, if I'm going to live a life with an anchored soul, knowing he's a promise-making and a promise-keeping God, I've got to begin to recognize, hey, where where have I kind of started to drift a little bit? Have, Have I anchored, tethered myself, put trust in some things other than in God and his word? Other than Jesus, have I found other options? When things get hard, am I still walking in obedience and still trusting in him and building my faith and standing upon this word and surrounding myself with people that are going to encourage me and pray for me because things get hard. Health, unexpected health challenges pop up. Difficulties with kids, friction and maybe even at times fractures in marriage or relationships. Business goes a little sideways. You unexpectedly get laid off. But... Am I going to throw all that out the window? See, here's the great thing. When you solidify the fact that you're going to obey, that no matter what you experience and you have trust, that's my prayer for you. That there's an anchor, a hope for your soul. That you know no matter what you experience in your finances, in your family, with your kids, no, no, no. God promised he'll do it. I'm going to trust and obey.